If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn with, with me uh, to, Re- to Revelation, to Romans uh, chapter 12. Uh, last week, I started a two-part series, two standalone messages called, called Just Be. In other words, just be these things. And so Paul is writing. He's writing to the local church, and he's helping the local church to understand uh, what it means to walk in maturity and what it means to be mature Christians. And so this weekend, again, just like we did last weekend, we're going to swim in the deep end of the pool, and I hope that's okay with you. Uh, We're going to look at the the marks of a mature Christian. And um, and so it's amazing to me, and, and I really, it's a mystery to me, and I don't understand how God does this. But God always knows exactly where we're going to be and what we need at, at that moment and at that time. It was four weeks ago that I actually wrote this sermon because I have to get my sermons done in enough time so that we can do life group material and questions and all those other things. And so, but it's amazing to me that God even knows what we need four weeks, four weeks in advance. And so I was life journaling Saturday morning, and, and here's the verse that really just sums up this two-part series. Here's what the writer of Psalm 122.9 says. He says, for the sake of the house of the Lord, the church, I will seek what is best for you. That sums up what Paul's talking about, that we as believers, we seek what is best for one another. When we love one another, we care for one another, we seek the good for one another or towards one another. And Paul begins writing in, 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 in these verses in Romans, and he starts talking about this issue that we're brothers and sisters of, in Christ, we're family, we have, this, we have this bond. In other words, Paul, as I told you last week, takes two Greek words. There's four Greek words for love. And he takes two Greek words, the Greek word for, for a friendship love and our family love and a brotherly love, and he puts them together. Only place in Scripture this is ever done. In other words, he's trying to help us to understand that we have this bond, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part, we're part of the same family. And so what he's saying is, 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 is just be these things, that these things should be in place in your life. Now, listen, it, it's, it's fun to me. Uh, to meet uh, first-time visitors and people new to our church and, and hear their comments. So, so last night, after, after the Saturday night uh, 6.30 service, uh, a man met me as soon as I got out into the lobby. He was like the first person to meet me, middle-aged man, and he's like, he's like laughing, and he, he's laughing so hard he, he can hardly even talk. And so I says, you know, I'm Pastor Charlie, and he told me his name, and he says, is, is that it? I'm like, what do you mean, is that it? He said, is that it? I go, what do you mean, is that it? He goes, I actually enjoyed that. That was actually fun. Is that it? And I'm like, that's it. He goes, do you guys do this like every weekend? Is that what you do every weekend? I said, that's what we do every weekend. He goes, that was actually fun. I, I could do that every weekend. I mean, I enjoyed that. I was like encouraged. And I go, that's what we do. And he goes, you don't understand. Last time I went to church was like as a kid. And I hated it. But there's something different about this place. There is something different. I mean, people were friendly. People were happy. There's like joy here. And see, this is what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about this issue as a family that there should be something different about us. So here's what Paul writes. And I'm going to read, read all of these verses. And then we're going to walk through them together. So verse 9, Romans, uh, Romans chapter 9. He said, let love be genuine. And then he uses the rest of the verses to explain what does genuine love look like. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, believers, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then Jesus wrote these words, one of the greatest commandments in John chapter 13, verse 34 again. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is really what this man was talking about last night. In other words, the way that people know that we're believers, we're followers of Christ, is the way we treat each other, the way we act towards each other, the way we speak of each other, the way we interact with one another. By that, what he says, people will know that you are Christ's followers because you love one another. So Paul, in these verses, answers the question, how do we love one another? How do we show love to one another? Listen, to this morning I have, I have six points for you, uh, which, is, which is a lot more than I normally have three, right? Uh, but, but fortunately this morning they've given me an hour to preach. So hang on and we'll get through all six of them. So that's a joke. I don't want anybody hitting the doors. And so, uh, so we're going to get done in the same amount of time. Some of these, some of these verses, some of these points I'm going to just touch on because some of them are a little bit of review from last week. And then we're going we're gonna to dig into the ones uh, that we haven't gotten to yet. So let's just walk through these together. So, so six, six points of how do we love that Paul says. The first one is this, is just be patient. Just be patient. I don't know about you, but patience is hard for me. I don't know about you with God's timing and, and going through some things in life that you know what? Being patient is like difficult. Now this is what Paul says, verse 12. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. See, I don't think it's an accident that be, be patient in tribulation is sandwiched in between rejoice in hope and be constant in prayer. The only way that you and I can be patient when things are difficult, when, when patient, when circumstances are not the way that we want the circumstances to be, it's not turning out the way we think it should be, we have to be able to rejoice in hope and be constant in prayer. Listen, let me just tell you this, and we'll read this first, but let me just give you this thought first. Hope not tested is not hope, it's optimism. Your hope has to be tested. For hope to be hope, it has to be tested. Watch, well, let's just read this, and I'll come back to that. I just want to let that sit. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, here's what it says. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that, su- that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And look at this. And character produces hope. Hope is developed. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out on our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, this issue of hope, hope is something that is developed in life. Hope that is not tested is only optimism. It's only positive thinking. It's only I hope it works out. I hope it works. That's all it is. But hope that is tested. And when hope is tested, then that means you can go through, you can go through hurtful situations. You can go through difficult situations. You can go through painful situations. And you can still believe God's perfect in all of his ways. That God is a good, good father. That he is still good. That he is still in control. Even though you think the circumstances stink. 
even though you think the circumstances are painful and hurtful and all those, when hope has been developed and hope has been tested, you can walk through those things knowing that he is good, knowing that he is in control, knowing that he loves you, he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, he sees what you're walking through. And that's why Paul says you got to re- hope, you got to rejoice in hope and be constant. Just be constant in this issue of, of prayer to where you, you understand that, that it, it, it is through prayer. Listen, this is, he's talking about relationships here. If you're having trouble loving someone, pray for them. You cannot pray for someone and hate them at the same time, I believe. There's something about prayer. There's something about being just faithful in prayer. So the first thing that Paul says is if you're going to love, you first have to be patient. The second thing is this, just be generous. Just, just come to the place of, guess what, you're generous. You're generous with your time and you're generous with your money. Two of the most personal things we have, our money and our time. And Paul says, come to the place where you understand that you need to be generous with your money and with your time because it's a reflection of your worship. It's a reflection of your commitment. And so he uses the verse, verse 11. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In other words, when you understand that, guess what? We're a family. We're in this together. We love one another. We care for one another. All of a sudden, it becomes easy to give to the church. All of a sudden, it becomes easy to contribute to the needs of the saints. That's why Paul says in Corinthians that God loves what? God loves a cheerful giver, one who understands, seeks good, seeks to help the local congregation. I cannot imagine what God would do if we all gave. I cannot imagine what we could do in this community, in the surrounding areas, if we all just came to that point and we, we just gave. And so, but he says, not only just contribute to the needs of the saints, but then he goes on and he says, seek to show hospitality. Hospitality in the Bible is much more than just having people over at your house and entertaining them and, and having a good time. That, that, that's part of it, and I get that. I understand that. But this word hospitality is something spiritual that happens. The way we seek to show hospitality here at Fellowship of the Rockies is through life groups. To where when you gather as, as friends, when you gather and you open scripture and have a meal together and, and you minister to one another, there's something spiritual that happens. In other words, it's in other words, in, in, in some respects, this is like a spiritual gift to where you, you go to someone's house and all of a sudden when you enter their house and the way they serve you and the way they talk to you and some of the things that they say, all of a sudden you know, you know what? I was ministered to. You walk away and it is something different. It was more than just having a good time. It was more than just good conversation. It was more than just watching a ball game together. All of a sudden, it's this thing like, I, I know there's people praying for me. I know there's people that care for me. And so, so what, what keeps us from seeking and showing hospitality? Usually our schedules. We say we're just too busy. We're too busy for that. I can't make that a priority. We just, we just don't have time for that. And when we do that, we lose. When we do that, and that's why Paul says you have to seek hospitality. Here, here's another one that, that he says, how do we love? Just be a blessing. Just be, a, just be a blessing. And Verse 14, the scripture says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So, so just, just real quickly, some, some Greek definitions and we'll move on. But, so that, that word curse uh, in this verse is not talking about profanity. You know, in the Greek, it literally means to, to cut. It literally means to harm. It literally means to hurt someone, to harm someone, to harm someone's character, to harm someone's reputation, uh, to, harm some, to harm what other people think about the individual. 
That's what this verse is talking about. And so in my old school, and I still have it and I still use it, I still study out of a, a paper leather Bible where I can write in margins because that's helpful to me. And uh, in my margin, I, I simply have written these words. It's year back, years back. It says, never speak evil or negative of a brother. What Paul's saying, and, and we know this is true, that there are times when Christians persecute other Christians, right? And the point is, and the point that Paul's trying to make is there are times that Christians get carnal. They develop a hard heart. They get in the, they get in the flesh. And they're going to try to make your life miserable. The fact is, the Phillips translation out of this verse, I love the Phillips translation, how they, how they rendered this verse, would simply say, that, say this, bless those who try to make your life miserable. You know what bless means? Just one more definition. You know what bless means? Bless is not something... A monetary gift. Bless is simply this to speak well of. Speak well of someone that is persecuting you. Speak well of someone that is hurting you. See, when, when, in other words, when, when, when someone criticizes you or maligns you, you're supposed to still speak well of them. See, the problem with this, and we'll get to this, and Paul gives us a solution, but the problem with this, our natural inclination is you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. You criticize me, I'll criticize you back. You slander me, I'll slander you. Paul says, don't do that. Paul says sometimes, what he's talking about this issue, you have to come to the place. If you want to show love to where you continue to, to speak well of them. And sometimes, and you know this, right? There's some, some people that have hurt you so deeply that if you're going to speak well of them, you've got to get really creative, right? What, just real quickly, and this kind of off the, anyway, we'll, we'll just go this way. How's that? Sometimes it makes it fun when we just go this way. What'd your mama teach you? If you can't say something nice, right. Did you realize your mama didn't come up with that? All these years, I thought my mama came up with that. So last night, I, it was really bothering me. Uh, about this issue. I, di I didn't talk. I, th this is just like bonus material now because uh, I didn't even use this last night. And we'll, we'll move on. We'll still get out of here at the same time unless I keep explaining why I'm... Anyway. So I asked the Google, where did my mama get that? I mean, where did it come up with? Who started this? Interesting story. Um, it, it came from Alice Roosevelt. Alice Roosevelt was the adult daughter of President Teddy Roosevelt. It was her daughter. She was an adult daughter. He was the president. It was a time in his administration when he was under a lot of criticism. Things were being said and written about him in newspaper articles and magazines and reporters and all the other stuff that goes with that. And so a reporter wanted to interview Alice Roosevelt. And so he went to her house and he went in and they took her, she took him into a room to where it's like it was like her reading room. And so she took her in, he, she took him into the reading room, and so he noticed in a, in, a, in a chair next to where she was seated that there was a pillow that she had made. And on the pillow, these words were written, if you can't say something good about some, someone, sit right here by me. And he asked her about it. And she says, oh, you don't understand. I read and I hear everything that they're saying about my dad, and it hurts. And I got to the place 
to where I became like them. And it was destroying me. And so I made this pillow to help my friends and to help relationships. That if you can't say something nice about someone, sit right here next to me and I will help you. And through the years, it was changed to where if you can't say something nice about someone, don't say nothing at all. It was out of that in her life. There's something about this issue to where if we just come to the place that we realize that, you know what, we, we, we can bless someone with, 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 with our words. See, see I, I can't choose how, some respo- how someone responds to me. And I can't choose what someone says about me. But I can choose what I say about them, and I can choose what I, how I respond to them. And so this is what Paul is saying. Because, see, I'm not responsible for something that someone says about me, but I am a, will be held accountable for the words that I use about them. And that's what Paul is talking about. And Paul is talking about when someone criticizes you, don't go around criticizing them back. Don't get down on their level. Don't get down in the mud with them. I mean, when you look at this and you just look at life, I mean, if we study someone's life long enough, we can find something to criticize them about, right? Any fool can criticize. But it takes a believer. It takes someone strong. It takes someone strong with creativity that understands the power of our words. Here's the fourth one. How do we love? Just be sympathetic. Just be sympathetic. Uh, Verse 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, come to the place where you're sympathetic to each other's feelings. Understand the seasons and the times that people are walking through. And, And sometimes this is hard for us. Sometimes this is hard for me to understand what somebody is walking through, to understand that there's sometimes you rejoice with people, and guess what? There's sometimes that you, you weep with people, you hurt with people, you mourn with people. Saturday morning, I, I, I did a funeral. And I did a funeral at a small chapel in, in, in town at a funeral home. And this individual had a lot of friends, was well-liked. And, I mean, the place was packed. It was standing room only. They opened up the windows. It's a beautiful day. People were standing outside, so they're still here. People couldn't even get in. And so I, I led the family through, through this funeral. And in the midst of like a, a 30, 45-minute funeral and the time that we had together before and after and all those other things, you just watched the ebb and flow. You watched at times we rejoiced with people who rejoiced and we weeped with people who weeped. We, we mourned with each other and we celebrated with one another. We celebrated her life and we rejoiced the life that she led, left, uh, that she, the way that she lived her life, the mem- memories that she gave everybody. We rejoiced with that, but at the same time we weeped and we mourned. With, and that's what Paul's talking about. See, Christ did this. Christ attended both funerals and weddings. He understood that. And there's something that happens in our life when we come to the place and we're just... We're just sympathetic for each other's emotions. We, people need understanding. People need, listen, people need that. People need you to understand. Some of us, we just need to be heard. Some of us, we just need somebody around us that, you know what, can actually understand what we're walking through. Here, here's another one. How do we love? Just be accepting. Just come to the place that, 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 that we're accepting. So verse 16, here's what the scripture says. He said, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, these are, these are two things that will destroy, if you do them, these are two things that will destroy the unity of, fa- of a family, or the unity of relationships, the unity of church faster than anything else. And that's why Paul says, come to the place to just live in harmony with one another. In other words, don't, don't be arrogant. Don't be, 
Don't be proud and unwilling to associate with people in a lower status than you or a lower place in life than you. Uh, don't, don't play favorites. In other, words, in other words, what he's saying, treat everybody with respect. Was a person that is serving you through a to-go window at, at a fast food restaurant, or whether it's a close friend, or someone that is in your same class or your same state of life. In other words, what Paul says is we are all different. We're all in different levels economically and in age and education. And, but Paul says, but in Christ, guess what? We're all one. And that's what counts. We're all the same. Listen, the, I'm telling you, the ground is level at the cross. And live in harmony with one another. So Paul begins to shift verses. And we're coming to point six. And point six, I believe, is is the catalyst. I believe if you understand these next verses, then it becomes easier uh, to live out these principles. And I think Paul waited to the end and says, so here's the secret. If you want to be able to do these things, here's the secret. And so Paul begins, changes his language. Up until now, he's specifically been talking about the local church only. This is how we treat the local church. This is how we treat brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of a sudden, he changes his language to, to everyone, and then he uses the word enemy. So now what he's talking about, this is not only how you treat people in the church, this is also how you treat people out of the church. This is how you treat everyone. And so Paul begins giving these secrets. And so here's the last one. How do we live? Uh, how do we love? Just be careful. Just be, just be careful. So let's, let's read, let me read these verses, and then we're going to walk through them, and, and, and we'll be done. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, so one of the, just, just qualifier, just real quickly about this passage. This is not talking about uh, national policy. This is not talking about just war. This is not talking about any of that. This is simply talking, this is only talking about personal relationships. This is only talking about personal relationship. How do we respond to each other? How do we respond to the personal relationships around us to everyone? So that's what Paul is talking about. So Paul is talking about how do I relate to the people I go to, to work with, go to school with, uh, in the neighborhood with, uh, go to church with. And so what Paul says, if you're going to do these things, you have to come to the place in life where you counteract your natural inclinations, you counteract your natural desires. Because that's why Paul said, do not repay evil for evil, or do not repay anyone evil for evil. And what he's saying is, our natural desire, our flesh, is to repay evil to e for evil. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. You slander me, I'm going to slander you. You malign me, I'm going to malign you. That's the flesh. That's our natural desire. And Paul says, do not do that. You're, you're, you're going to have to overcome that. And that's why he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what does overcome mean? And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting Greek word. Overcome is a military term. And, and it's used in the Greek, and it's used as an aggressive word to defeat, to defeat an enemy, to defeat something. And so it's not a passive word. It's like this. It's an aggressive word. And he's saying, do not, do not be overcome by evil. It means don't pay, 
back. In other words, don't respond in kind. Don't respond the same way that they have responded to you. In other words, if you, if you receive malice, do not be malicious back. If, if you receive slander, do not slander back. In other words, he says you, you, you have to come to the place when you receive an attack that you, you do not be overcome by good. In other words, you come to the place that you forgive unless you will be overcome by evil. Rather, overcome evil with good. And the reason that we don't respond evil with evil is because when we do, we're no longer in control. You are not in charge when you slander someone. You are not in charge when you're malicious. You you are no longer in control. You're doing what evil wants you to do. In other words, this, you're not being molded by good. You're being molded by evil. You're being absorbed by evil. You're being controlled by evil. That's why, that's why people can be absorbed by this, and they can, be, they can uh, be focused by this, and they can be focused on the, these issues. And Paul says, guess what? If you want to be truly aggressive, if you truly want to defeat evil, then you must not respond with evil because overcome evil does not mean to be passive towards it. It means to... It means a battle within to fight off the flesh so that you don't respond the same way they responded to you. In other words, if you, if you repay evil for evil, you're going to be sucked into a perfect storm. And it's going to destroy you. To overcome evil with good is not to be passive, but to respond in the way that, but not to respond in the way that they've responded to you. Don't, in, don't invoke in backbiting it's it's the ministry of affirmation and that you can bless people by the way that you talk about them and when someone ridicules you or puts you down you still you still speak well of them i i just remember this and it comes back to to be sympathetic i just remember this saying hurt people hurt have you ever noticed that hurting painful painful people in pain give pain people who hurt hurt if, if I, I used this illustration last night real quickly, if, if, I, if I had an accident and I had third-degree burns on, on my leg and I went to the hospital and they bandaged me up and they took care of me and they took me home and then my grandkids came to see me and I, I have these fresh wounds and I, and I love my grandkids because, like, they're, <laughs> well, they're perfect. And, uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden they came into the living room and they saw me and they, they ran up to me and they grabbed my leg to get into my, my lap, I would probably scream in pain. And I'd probably scream and say, don't, stop, you know, whatever, do not do this. And why? Because, because I have pain. And I'm, and I'm reacting out of my pain. But after a couple of years and, and that leg healed and I still had some scar tissues and you could see the, you still see the scars there, but when they came into the living room and they grabbed my leg, you know what I would do? It's, the pain's gone. I would pull them up into my lap. I would love them. I'd play with them. I'd do the things that granddads do. Why? Because the leg's been healed. I'm no longer responding. So, so hurt people hurt. Hurt people respond out of their pain. Paul says in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, <clears throat> excuse me, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. You know why? People are watching. Unfortunately, non-Christians are watching. That's why Jesus says the way they're, they're going to know that you're a mine is the way you respond. That's why he says, if, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Aren't you glad that qualifier is there? As far as it depends on you, 
Can I just tell you there are some people that you're not going to live at peace with? Because they're not going to let you live at peace with them. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Paul said in verse 19, he says, Beloved believers, never avenge yourselves, but, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, what he's saying is just come to the place that you leave all revenge up, you, you leave all revenge up to God. I don't know if you know this, but revenge is the most worthless emotion. It will suck the life out of you, and it will destroy your relationships. Revenge is one of the most emotions because it zaps your strength because, because you're spending all of your time looking backwards instead of looking forward. You can't move on with your life. You can't move on with the presence because revenge. And, and here's the deal about revenge. Even if you get revenge, it won't be enough. It won't be enough. Revenge, even when you get revenge, will always leave you wanting more. That's why Paul says, do not be absorbed by evil. The, the, the greater the attack, the bigger the battle. Within. Do not be absorbed by evil. Listen, I don't know how many times as a pastor I've had this conversation. That I, I've just told someone, says, uh, Mr. X or Mrs. X hurt you. And now you're bitter. Don't you see? Because you're bitter and unforgiving, they're controlling you. Don't you see? Because you're bitter, you've been, you've been absorbed by this and you're being molded by this. And, and they're controlling you. They're still controlling you today even though they're no longer in your life. Don't you understand that? I mean, it's a waste of time and it's a waste of enemy, uh, or ener energy. And so that's why Paul says you have to leave room for God's wrath. In other words, the way you do that is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a payment thing. Forgiveness is this issue. It, when, when you look at it in the scripture, it's, it's a monetary thing. It's, 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 it's a payment thing. And so when, when, when someone is, is, has wronged you, when someone is, has hurt you, you can either try to, try, to get, try to make them pay or let God deal with it. It's your choice. Either you can make them pay, you can leave it up to God to take care of it and say, God, you know best, I don't, I, I don't know what's best, and you can handle this. And so I am canceling that debt. I am releasing that debt, and I'm allowing you to take care of it. See, forgiveness is releasing a debt. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. Forgiveness is releasing a debt and say, God, it's, it's up to you. You've got to deal with it. See, forgiveness is like... Here's the best illustration I got just to illustrate this. Uh, late, late Friday night, I was on Amazon. I was going to order some stuff. And when I hit buy, whatever that's called, I hit the button, and I realized I ordered a bunch of ants. Uh, <laughs> it's a long story how that took place. There's a while back, I thought I wanted an ant farm and, and, you know, for a lot of reasons. And I guess I saved a bunch of ants in my, in my shopping cart. And so now I bought a bunch of ants. And I got a bunch of ants coming. And so, you know, I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do with these ants. And I'm thinking, well, you know, Christmas coming up. I'll give them to Pastor Chad. Merry Christmas. And so, uh, <laughs> and so I woke up the next morning. I said, well, let's see if I can cancel this. So I, I went, went on my orders, and I punched the button, cancel this order. And you know what? Amazon forgave me of my stupidity. And they didn't charge me. It's like it never happened. That's forgiveness. 
So you can make someone pay uh, three different ways, uh, unforgiveness. You could either continue to bring the matter up to them over and over and over. If you're doing that, you haven't forgiven. Forgiveness says, I won't do that. Forgiveness says, if you continue, regardless of you saying I forgave, if you continue bringing it up, you haven't forgiven them. So you can continue to bring it up to them. You can continue to bring it up to everybody else and try to make them pay that way. I'm going to change what everybody else says about you. I'm going to change what everybody else thinks about you. So you can do it that way. Or one of the most damaging things you can do, you can continue to bring it up to yourself over and over and over. And you know what happens when you do that? When you rehearse that hurt, you rehearse that pain over and over, you know what you're doing? You're becoming absorbed by evil and you can't move on it it like it like it like destroys you forgiveness is coming to the place like jesus says jesus just jesus says that we're we're supposed to forgive and and then look at this it says and, and then he says for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head so we like that part we think blisters i'm making them pay now be nice to them they're going to get third degree burns right that's not what it means it's such a fascinating term. You know what it is? It's, trying, it's responding in kindness, trying to get someone's attention, trying to create alarm, trying to help them to see the, the, the mistakes they've been making. I'll I, I never forget, it's many, many, many years ago. Uh, one evening, I, w- I, was a, I was a total jerk to Karen. Total jerk. And so I, so I got up that morning and went to work, didn't say goodbye or anything. I, I just left. We, we didn't talk all day long, which, was, which is very, very rare for us. We didn't talk throughout the day. Left work, came home. I walk in the house, and I smelled pork chops frying. <laughs> and her kindness spoke to me. And I'm like, I've been such a jerk. How can she respond in kind to me because she's not even going to eat them, which is fine with me, more for me. (laughs) And so I ate the pork chops, and then we had a conversation. (laughs) That's what heaping burning coals on someone's head means. I'm going to respond in kind to you. Why? Because I seek your good, because I care about you. It's like sounding alarm. Don't you see what you're doing? Don't you see how you're hurting Don't you see how damaging this is? It doesn't mean everybody's going to wake up and respond positively. But it does mean as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And sometimes in life, we have to allow God to be our defender, to be our protector, and trust him in these times. That's why he says, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?